if you come at this time next week, church will be over. So uh, this is daylight savings time weekend. So come see Blast on Friday and Saturday. And then Saturday night before you go to bed, set your clock ahead. Uh, an hour. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I have an easier time with that sitting it ahead than I do with sitting it back. Is that, am I the only one? Okay, I thought I was. Yeah. Well, anyway, you gotta, you gotta do that because they say that we have to. Uh, but uh, this, this coming weekend, would you stand with me? And let's uh, read from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I don't usually do this, though I did do it in the first service. You guys deserve it as well. We're going to read that again. That's just so much better than you can possibly imagine it is. Uh, so, so look at it one more time. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word I thank you for the life that's in your word and for the light that's there. And I pray, Father, that you would make us willing to change. Touch touch our hearts today and, Lord, get us past the notion that change is for somebody else and make us willing to change. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, wow. I mean, let me say it backwards. Wow. What can be better than that? Not much, not anything. We've been taught and conditioned to want to get this or that from God. Material things, prosperity, I mean, that's good. And if it comes from God, it's good because... Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, with whom there is no shadow of turning. The blessings of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. That's not always where it comes from, though. But, uh, you know, we've been taught, let's, you know, let's, let's ask God for that. Let's get God for that. Have to be careful. But uh, or, or to, to be exalted, to be the head, not the tail, that's yes, sir. 
uh, it, it, you do understand that, that a dog's head is what bites you and the tail is what makes you happy or shows that it's happy. But anyway, I mean, yeah, I want to be the head and not the tail. Uh, to, be, to be used in the gifts, you know, give us the gifts, use me in the gifts. That's great. All, all, of, those, all of those things are, are great to be overcomers. But what can possibly be better than to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God? I mean, seriously, that, that's the pinnacle. That, that's, the, that's the big daddy. That's the top of the mountain. Over in Colossians 2.9, it says this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now, when we get to Colossians, we'll talk about that a lot more. And clearly, we're not deity, but that's verse 9. Verse 10 says, and in Christ, you have been brought to this fullness. So this isn't just some notion that kind of floats through in Ephesians and goes away. This is, this is something that God actually has for his people, actually, actually wants them to have. The fullness of God. Well, how do we get there? Well, it isn't an ecstatic experience. It isn't an ecstatic occurrence that happens in our lives. I love ecstatic occurrences. They're, they're great. I mean, it's great to just, woo, you know, to just be there. I also love 100-layer donuts. They are great. But if, you try, but if you try to live on those, you'll die. If, if, if you try to go through life filled with, if that's what you're filled with, you'll be sick. You, 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 won't, you won't be a healthy person, no matter how healthy the ingredients are in 100-layer donuts. And spiritually, you won't be a healthy person if it's just... One experience to the next experience to the next experience. That's not how you get the fullness of God in your life. It, it, it doesn't happen that way. And, and it, uh, we have to start somewhere. You don't, you don't start a building by building the roof or by building the, the walls or by building the floors even. Start a building by building the foundation. And a tree doesn't start with leaves. Or, or with branches, or with a, tr- a tree starts with roots down in the ground to support what's coming up. And so he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Some 35 years ago, Bruce Coble um, brought a teaching in youth group that changed my life. In fact, I, I think it changed several people's lives. Uh, uh, Margaret was there. That night, uh, Wayne Berry was there that night. Uh, Wade may have been there, I don't know, but he, he brought this teaching from this passage, and he was looking, you know, he's using the King James, and so it was rooted and grounded, rooted and grounded in love, and he just kept saying, rooted and grounded in love, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, and eventually it occurred to me, you know, I never put that together before. I, I never really understood. That's really what this is all about. That's, that's really what... That's really where it starts, this Christian walk. And you might go, you didn't put that together? No, a lot of Christians don't put that together. They never actually get around to figuring out, oh, wait a minute. That's, that's where the beginning is. That's where the foundation is. How did we, how did the American church get so far off track?
At some point, we decided that uh, it, it was better or easier, I don't know, or something to frighten people out of hell than to love them into heaven. I think that was kind of the beginning of it. You know, and, and to be honest, I'd rather frighten them out of hell than have them go to hell. But uh, I, I think the loving them into heaven is probably the more biblical method, shall we say. At some point, we decided that Jesus was actually kidding about that love your enemies things. I mean, he, he actually meant kill your enemies. They're both four-letter words, you know, love, kill. Uh, it's, at some point, we kind of we took that there. At some point, we decided that material wealth was the sign of God's favor in a believer's life. I mean, everybody knows that Jesus said that it is harder for a poor man to go through the eye of the needle than it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, and I do have to correct that. Rodney's going, no, 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 no. I do have to correct that because some of you don't know that that's not what he said. He said it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. And, and you know, and people sometimes go, yeah, and it, that's, that's almost impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible because Jesus ended up saying, you know, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And as a result of, of all these things that kind of seeped in as a result, we find our brand of Christianity is often defined far more by what and who we hate what and who we don't like or disagree with than by the one thing that truly changed our lives, the love of God. That's what changed my life. It's what changed your life too. Holy Week is coming up pretty soon. Uh, it, it's an early Easter this year. And Thursday of Holy Week, it's called Monday Thursday. Now, a lot of times, um, I mean, the first few times I heard this, I thought, that doesn't make any sense. How can Monday be on Thursday? But it's not Monday, Thursday. It's Monday, Thursday. And uh, that's taken from the Latin word for uh, command is, is what it is. Uh, but Thursday was the day when the Last Supper, uh, that evening, uh, the Last Supper was uh, was eaten. And when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And so at Monday, Thursday services, for churches that have those, usually foot washing is a part of that service. And oftentimes, I, I think we kind of get the notion that, oh, that's right, we were commanded to wash one another's feet. No, we weren't. Jesus said, do you understand what I've done for you? Now that I, I am, you call me teacher and Lord, that's rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. The word should doesn't usually follow a, com precede a command. That's, that's, that's not, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't wash one another's feet because Jesus said we should, but it's a, it's a suggestion when you say should. I wouldn't do that if I were you. You should do this. Well, that's not the same thing as going, don't do this instead. You know, The command being remembered isn't to wash one another's feet. Jesus said you should. The command being remembered is later on in that chapter where he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you should love one another. No, so you must love one another. That's the command. Uh, must is the word that precedes a command, not, not, not should. And so that's love is the greatest commandment. 
I mean, what is, what is, it's the new commandment, it's the greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your strength. And the second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And John goes over in 1 John to say, and by the way, if you don't keep the second one, you're kidding yourself if you think you do the first one. In fact, he didn't say you're kidding yourself, he said you're a liar. That's what he said. And, and Paul says over in Romans, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's, that's really what the basis of the law is. Love is the soil. It's the foundation in which we become established in Christ. Without it, we're, we're going in the wrong direction. I mean, if that's not where you start, then then you're going in the wrong direction. We're simply waiting to fail and fall no matter how logical our doctrine is, no matter how, uh, how sincere our intentions are, no matter, no matter how good we look on the outside or look to ourselves. If, if love isn't where we start and isn't what we're rooted in, then we're going the wrong way. It's just that simple. Love is not an option. So only with our roots in love can we have the power together with all the Lord's holy people. Some may suggest that in Paul's day, you know, the church was young, everybody, you know, there, was, there weren't all these denominations and everything, so everybody was on, basically on the same page. Ha! You know, we're, 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 we're as bad at history in this country as we are at geography. I mean, you know, you put a map of the world up there, half the people in the room can't find Asia. Okay, you know, it sounds like, you know, in the first service, people, yeah, yeah, that's right. In the second service, they're going, Asia. <laughs> what, what, what? Uh, that's an Arkansas, isn't it? I mean, there were, there were so many false doctrines and things going around in Paul's day. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the letters that are written in the New Testament are written specifically to address false doctrine. You know, people saying that, that uh, the, the resurrection didn't actually happen. People saying that, uh, that Christ has already returned and the second coming's already taken place. I mean, there were all kinds of, of false doctrines going around, and yet... Paul says, together with all the Lord's holy people. And I don't necessarily think that he meant together with everyone who agrees with me. Our, our elders here at the church do not strive for unanimity, but for unity. You've heard me mention this before. But this is what, this is what unanimity, unanimity looks like. And unanimity is not only unnecessary, it's dangerous. Because if the only people you ever talk to or the only people that you hang out with are people who agree with everything that you agree with, then it won't be long before you and your little group will just be dumb. Because there's a lot of stuff going on out there that you, you don't know anything about. A lot, of, a lot of things happening in people's lives that are not part of your experience. Unity, on the other hand, looks like this. You've got... You've got People who, who experience this and come from that background and come from this background and know this and, and do that. And, but they walk together in unity and there's a real strength there. The Bible never says there's strength in unanimity. It says, says that, well, there's only one place. That's a Tower of Babel. But it says that, it, it, that in unity, there's great strength. Uh, 
Unity brings power and, and, and blessing. How good and pleasant it is when, when God's people dwell together in unity. That's where the Lord has commanded the blessing to reside. Even life forevermore. Uh, some of you are aware that, uh, that Bruce and Wayne and myself have known each other for a long, long time. We go back, well, over 35 years. And uh, what some of you may not know, though some of you do, is that there's a lot of stuff we don't agree about. And, but we trust, we, we love each other. Our relationship is rooted and grounded in love. And we know each other's hearts. And we trust each other's hearts. And so the things that we don't agree about becomes strengths rather than divisions between us. They, they cause each one of us to have to consider where the other one's coming from. I'm just glad I'm the senior pastor. Uh, <laughs> actually, that probably wasn't a joke. But I, I, uh, but I, you know, I love those guys. And... And, and they love me, even though, even though we're, we're, we don't necessarily agree about everything that comes along the pike. But when these two conditions are present, ooh, get this. When these two conditions are present, rooted and established in love, together with all of God's holy people, then we have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, and we become filled with the, the measure of the fullness of God. Those are, the two, those are the two requirements to get there. It takes, well, <laughs> okay, I'm going to, yeah, I, 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 it's on the next slide, so I actually have to cover it. Uh, I actually have to say it. Uh, takes one to know one. Uh, now, you know, that can be applied to a lot of things. And in, uh, you know, in our present culture, there, there are hot button issues that that gets applied to. But long before the hot button issues of our present culture, people were saying it takes one to know one. I mean, every day on the playground when I was in elementary school, I heard this phrase and I probably said it a few times. You know, you're stupid. Well, it takes one to know one. I mean, you're ugly. It takes one to know one. You know, I mean, that's, that just, that just, that's the way that it flowed. And most of the time we apply it to a, a, a negative situation. There's a situation where, that we don't like and we say that to somebody they go, well, it takes one to know one. But there is truth there and flip it. It can also be applied to a positive situation to really know love. You have to experience love. To really know what love is all about, you've got to be engaged in that, in that process. Love is powerful. But those are just words until you experience it firsthand. When uh, the, the older I get and the more perspective that I get on it, uh, my parents just amaze me because... Those of you who've been here know that I had a prodigal period in my life. I had a period away from the Lord, a period where, you know, I wasn't doing things that they approved of and wasn't involved in things that they wanted me to be involved in. And my parents grew up in a, in a very 
a narrow culture. I mean, it wasn't quite like, you know, being Amish or something, but it was, it, it was pretty close. Uh, you know, they were, they were real liberal. That's why I got to play baseball. Uh, and that's the truth. Yeah. Uh, I know people who couldn't because their parents wouldn't let them because that's the world out there. And so that's, that's what, that's what they knew. And, uh, it's what they knew growing up and it's what they knew as adults. And when I, when I was away from the Lord, I, now I can look and I know their hearts just had to be broken. And yet they never abandoned me. And, and, and they supported me. That was back in the day when you could go to college and, and come out not have not owing for a house before you had to, before you bought a house. Uh, that was back in the day when people could actually afford to go to college. They sent me to college, you know, and I messed around and then, but they, you know, they sent me there. They gave me money to eat each week and, and stuff like that. And there was never anything attached to it. And, and as I look back at my parents now, I go, wow, how did they do that? And I think that it probably had something to do with me being able to come back to the Lord. I mean, with me coming back to the Lord when I did. That love is powerful stuff. It's, it's really strong. But until you're, you have gotten in that process from one side or the other, uh, you don't know that. You just know what you read in what you hear in the songs and what you, what you uh, see in the movies. Love hurts. You know, and I'm not talking about Eros. I'm not talking about, you know, love hurts. You know, whatever that song is. Uh, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, the father of the prodigal. I'm talking about Judas Kiss, that song. Yeah, those of you who are old enough to remember it. I wonder what it's like for you when the prodigal won't come home. I wonder how it makes you feel when he'd rather be on his own. I wonder what it's like for you when a sheep has gone astray. I wonder how it makes you feel when your children disobey. It must be like another thorn stuck in your brow. It must be like another close friend's broken vow. And it must be like another nail right through your wrist. It must be just like, just like Judas kid. Love hurts. And until you experience that, it's just songs, words. Something the preacher said. You don't really, you don't really know. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Say, oh, that's that cheap grace stuff. I'm not talking about cheap grace. Love covers over a multitude of sins, and I didn't say it. Peter said it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's so easy to look at somebody else's family or somebody else's life or somebody else's relationship and go, how in the world, how can they put up with that? That's how, because their love's that strong and it's that deep. And love is not something you can experience in the singular. It's the only time you feel real love is when you're looking in the mirror. You ain't feeling real love. That's something else that you're feeling. Love requires other people. And the truth of the matter is, 
It requires at least one someone else, but the more someone else's there are, the harder it is to really love. It's not infrequent. I mean, I would say that the reason people leave fellowships more than any other reason isn't because, isn't because the, the preaching is bad uh, or isn't because of the, of the worship or anything like that. In fact, oftentimes that's why they came in the first place. But the reason that they leave is because I just can't put up with these people anymore. Just can't put up with, with their ideas. Just can't put up with what they're saying. Oh, and listen. Uh, boy, I, I say this several times, but let me say this in all honesty. Facebook, can we fast Facebook for like seven years? I mean, I, I don't have any problem with, you know, looking at your food or with, you know, your, your dog or your cat or something like that. It's the rest of the stuff. You're not changing anybody's mind. You're just hurting people. I know y'all liked that. Uh, you got to stick together. You got to stay with people that are fellow believers that maybe you don't agree with and you maybe don't even like. But when you're rooted and grounded in love together with all the saints, all of God's people, then you have the power to experience how wide, how long, how deep is the love of God. That's, it takes one to know one. Then God loves the whole world, not just, not just the people who of a certain race, not just the people of a certain nationality, not just the people of a certain culture, not just the people uh, who, who have the same ideas about everything, not just, he loves the whole world. And to be able to grasp that, we have to break out of our tiny little world and begin to try and see if we can't experience some of that ourselves. And then we know the love that surpasses knowledge. And, and, I, and I love that. I mean, think about that. I, I love that phrase, love that surpasses knowledge. What it means is you can study it, but you won't know it. You can analyze it, but you won't know it. You can, you can lecture about it, but you, but you, you, don't, you don't know it. You can, uh, you, can, you can read good books about it, but all that's just knowledge. This goes beyond knowledge. This is something that leaves knowledge back in the dust. And it's not easy, but it's glorious. Because the ultimate result is it, of it is to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Wow, what a thing. Is it really possible? Can, can, can that actually happen? Well, it isn't possible through accumulating things. It isn't possible through having the best doctrine. Doctrine's good, but that, that's not going to get you to the full measure. It's not possible through reading the best books. Read, read good books, but that's not going to get you to the fullness of the measure of God. In fact, it isn't possible through any man-made constructs. Jesus said, and I love that he said, what's impossible with man is possible with God. With God, there's nothing that's impossible. And so, now to him who is able to do immeasurably 
more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That, that's where this, that's the context this verse is in. This, uh, we, we tend to take this verse and go, okay, well, think big and dream big and ask big. And yeah, all, all of that stuff is, yeah, think big, dream big, ask big. He can do more than you can think about. But the context is in receiving the power to have the fullness of God in our lives. And I think that probably would qualify as being immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And it begins with being rooted and grounded in love. Now, uh, I'm, I'm actually through with the sermon. I just want to talk for a second here. Uh, guys, we're in, we're in dangerous. We're swimming with sharks in, uh, in this period of our, of our uh, nation. Swimming with sharks. And, I, and, I'm not, and when I say that, I'm not saying that, you know, well, this guy's bad or that guy's bad or this gal's good or that gal's bad. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, regardless of who you're for or what you're for, if you, go, if you find yourself angry, if you find yourself bent out of shape, if you find your peace gone, remember this sermon. See, we serve a God who says, be anxious for nothing. We serve a God who says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. We, we serve a God who says, the arm of the flesh is going to fail you. But those who, who put their trust in the Lord are risen and stand upright. Remember it. Because you're not going to hear this on the radio this week. You're not going to watch this, see this on TV this week. You're not going to read this in the paper this week. You're going to, you're going to see, read, and hear things that are designed to get your attention. And that's where your attention's supposed to be. Rooted and grounded in love together with all God's holy people. The impossible can happen. Would you stand with me? For those who are going to pray with people, come forward. And if you're here today, and uh, obviously God is here for anything. Those who don't know Christ, certainly we want to introduce you to him. I mean, this is, this is a whole different thing than the world. You need healing, physical healing. He's a healer. Uh, financial things, he, he's a provider. And if, you're, and if your love's broken, if, you're, if your love's deficient, I don't know. You know, you might like pray about it because I think that works, not just to get chairs taken away. And isn't it so great to have Chris Mincy with us with his new, with his new kidney? Yeah. Praise God. So if you don't need to come worship with us for a little while, if you do, don't be proud. Come. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up.